From the command post knoll, Ben Clark spotted a large group of women and children running up the slopes to the south, Meyer's men giving chase and firing into them. Clark asked Custer if he wanted those people killed. No, replied Custer. Ride out there and give the officer commanding my compliments and ask him to stop it. Take them to the village and put them in a big teepee and station a guard over them. Clark followed orders, thus giving the troops the first of their prisoners. Fleeing in confusion, the Indians inflicted few casualties on their assailants, four hit mortally, and hardly more than a dozen wounded. One of the former, however, was the able and well-liked Captain Hamilton, pierced through the heart by a bullet in the first moments of the charge. Also, troopers carried in Captain Barnett's, shot in the personal duel with a warrior. Barnett's killed his opponent, but took a bullet in the abdomen that everyone believed to be fatal. Astonishingly, it had missed all the vital organs. Barnett's recovered, but had to retire on a medical disability. In the first rush, Lieutenant Edward S. Godfrey had led a platoon of West's company around the south side of the village and had begun scooping up knots of grazing ponies. Gradually, a growing herd was assembled on the slope south of the valley. Continuing this mission, Godfrey and his men crossed to the north bank of the river and drifted farther down the valley. His veteran sergeants warned him against getting too far away from the command. Halting the platoon, the lieutenant climbed a low elevation to scan the valley to the east. Peering over the ridge, he remembered, I was amazed to find that as far as I could see down the well-wooded, tortuous valley, there were teepees. Teepees. Not only could I see teepees, but mounted warriors scurrying in our direction. Fighting a rear-guard action back to the village, Godfrey reported his discovery to a startled Custer. Godfrey also informed Custer that, while downstream, he had heard heavy firing across the river. Major Elliott and a detachment had been seen to ride off in that direction in pursuit of fleeing Indians. Godfrey suggested that Elliott might be under attack. "'I hardly think so,' replied Custer, "'as Captain Myers has been fighting down there all morning and probably would have reported it.' In fact, Elliot was under attack. Sighting a group of Indians escaping to the east, through the uncovered sector between Elliot and Thompson, the Major had called for volunteers to pursue. The regiment's sergeant major and eighteen men assembled. "'Here goes for a brevet or a coffin!' Elliot shouted to a fellow officer, and he galloped off at the head of the contingent. East of the village, Elliot and his men ran into a large force of mounted warriors. Another appeared in the rear— Surrounded, he dismounted his followers and had them lie in the tall grass. One by one, they were hit as the Indians fired bullets and arrows from higher positions. A final rush ended the unequal fight and left the Major and all his men dead. The warriors who wiped out Elliot were not runaways from Black Kettle's band, but Cheyennes and Arapahoes from the villages downstream. By the hundreds, they donned their war paint and galloped to the sound of the firing. After slaying Elliot and his men, these fighters, joined by others from a Kiowa village, began to collect in ominous numbers on the hills surrounding the battleground. The fresh warriors of unknown numbers placed Custer in a precarious position. Captive women confirmed Godfrey's report that they came from big villages downstream. Although Quartermaster Bell crashed through an attacking force of Indians to reach the battleground with the ammunition wagons, the vital but weakly defended supply train approached somewhere on the back trail, 
vulnerable to seizure by a strong enemy body. Of more pressing concern, warriors from the other villages had driven off a small guard and seized the command's haversacks and overcoats left in the hills in order not to encumber the men in battle. In keeping with the precepts of total war, Custer's immediate task was to impoverish the enemy. Throwing out skirmishers to fend off the sallies of warriors against his lines, he set the rest of the command to destroying everything for use to the Indians. Troopers knocked down the teepees, set them afire. They heaped the entire contents of the village on leaping bonfires, saddles, clothing, utensils, weapons, ammunition, and the winter supply of dried buffalo meat and other food. Details rounded up the band's ponies, nearly nine hundred, and they cut their throats or shot them down with pistols. Warriors on the hillsides howled in rage, and one party tried to slip within rifle range but was driven off. As the men pursued their grim assignment, they also found and laid before Custer photograph albums, unopened mail, and other household items that testified to the romps of Black Kettle's young men through the Kansas settlements.